Welcome to the Grow In Podcast, where we're in company with leaders from the world's best brands and share the next chapter of their growth story. I'm your host, Sandy Khan. In the first series, we grow in innovation in company with Accenture and co-host Head of Innovation for Europe, the brilliant Lucy Cooper. Our storytelling leader today is Vodafone's Head of Sustainable Business, Dorothee Delta. For me, the easiest definition of sustainability is enough for all forever. Once you join sustainability, there's no, there's no looking back, which is both a blessing and a curse sometimes. It's really hard not to feel overwhelmed. So this, this clash of, the, of a passion with a sheer reality breaks my heart now to see so many young people struggle with that. So there's this whole concept of eco-anxiety and be impatient optimist, bring people along. The not taking care of myself is the thing that I've kind of struggled with. You can't be the perfect mother, but good enough is really great already. You'd expect after all those years, I would have known more or less what I wanted, but I had no clue. Joining Vodafone, I didn't know much about the sector. And it's it's such a crucial service that is often kind of underrated and just taken for granted. We're the largest IoT connectivity provider. So the power of IoT is smart meters, smart connectivity, smart bins, smart agriculture to really drive the sustainability agenda is phenomenal. The types of products, the scale, the geographical coverage, the relationships with so many companies through supply chain, through Vodafone business. It's a huge platform for change. It's been an amazing past two years. As you can hear, Dorothy talks from the heart to me about her personal growth story, her passion for sustainability, and what led her to head up Vodafone's sustainability agenda. Lucy continues the conversation with innovation-driven dialogue with Dorothy, with a focus on Vodafone's leadership, culture and purpose. In between, I get to ask Lucy to share some of her innovation-inspired thought leadership, which includes her formula for innovation. I'll stick out my neck and I'll guarantee you'll hear unique insights that you cannot Google. So if innovation plus sustainability plus leadership matter to you, you'll value today's growth stories curated with love for you. Dorothy, it's taken weeks, actually maybe even months due to very busy diaries, but we've finally come together and I am thrilled to bits that you've agreed to be in company with Lucy and me. Now, Doro, and I can call you Doro, right? I know you well enough. Of course you can call me Doro. I can call you Doro. Thank you so much. I'm excited to have you on because I know that sustainability runs really deep inside your blood and you are really passionate about it. But before we go there, I wanted to take a step back and talk about your background and your journey to Vodafone. So starting at the beginning, and when I say at the beginning, I really mean at the beginning, like where were you born? <laughs> okay. So I grew up in the middle of nowhere Flanders and spent most of my summers learning new languages, which is kind of what defined my, my youth as such. So dear listeners, let me interject and let you know that Doro speaks four languages fluently. English, obviously, French, Spanish and Dutch, or should I say Flemish? Just wanted to let you know that she's super smart. <laughs> 
Um, and so at university, I kept options open and went for a degree in, in linguistics and literature and then a teacher training degree and then a master in European affairs at the College of Europe. And it was really all about people communicating, connecting with them and about shaping the future, whether it was you know, through educating children or the future of Europe. That was kind of the early years in a very, very short, <laughs> very short nutshell. And then I think partly by coincidence and partly by design, I did a very early tour around the different stakeholders in society. So government, policymaking, nonprofit, civil society, and various industries that I discovered through consulting. And those early years really helped me to start to scratch the surface on the role of the different players in society and uh, you know the equilibrium between everything and also to become adaptable and versatile and and, and build a skill set that I could then later on apply to what I'm most passionate about which is making a, a positive contribution to the world that it was then time to apply the skill set that I had been building for years to what's important to me sustainability okay so pause there what's your definition of sustainability for me, the easiest definition of sustainability is enough for all forever. Uh, it's the only one I can remember. It's probably why it's, uh, it's my best definition. I love it. Short and sweet and very treatable. Thank <laughs> you so much. Let's get back to your journey. So, uh, so I joined McKinsey to join their sustainability agenda and to really drive the 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 change in the capitalist system from within. And it was an amazing 10 years. It's mm. a yeah, you were in the role for about a decade and you were very smart about how you owned your own development. Tell us a story about how you spotted the next role up and how you went for it, how you literally went for it. <laughs> I'd just been to one of those sessions on uh, women as leaders and one of the comments that was made was, as women, we often... We often don't state clearly enough what we want mm. and where we want to get to. And, and and just around that time, one of my colleagues was retiring. And so I first sent a message like, ah, congratulations, and what are you going to do? And this and that and the other. And then the next day, I was like, hang on, wait a minute. <laughs> I need to send another message. So I said, hello, Tom, can you help me get your job? <laughs> and he did. So I got his job. Gosh, Doro, your gutsy move paid off. <laughs> I obviously also had the skills, uh, hopefully, for it. Yeah, Doro, you had the skill set and tons of potential because your passion and drive to grow is so compelling. I like the fact that you have a strong growth mindset, that you didn't wait for opportunity to come knocking but you spotted the opportunity and open door and then you did something about it. You took action. Now, how many of us, including myself, have a super idea or a wish, but never act on it? Actually, yes, you need to shape your own journey. Yes. During your time at McKinsey, what were some of the most memorable and impactful experiences? It's 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 an ivory tower in many ways, right? So I had to combine it with feeling the down-to-earth work, like the literal earth work. So yeah. I worked as a volunteer in Colombia one summer for a month on sustainable cocoa. Mm -hmm. and, wow. and it was just phenomenal to go and talk to farmers up in the mountains and, and, and check whether all of those fancy reports around, you know, agriculture productivity and how to feed five, you know, nine billion people, etc., how that actually resonated with farmers on the ground 
around who were, you know, very often subsistence farmers who were just trying to feed their family. And it was such a great reality check. And I've, I've continued to do that. So combining the business jobs as such with other things. So I'm now a, a trustee also at Earthwatch, which is a an environmental charity with science at its heart. And so my daughter, when she was two, she did her first citizen science project. We went to measure the nutrient levels in the Thames with a very small kit, and it was phenomenal. It was just such a nice experience. But so, yeah, 10 years at McKinsey, um, probably many more in terms of standard working weeks, hours. Took some time to figure out what I wanted. You'd expect after all those years, I would have known more or less what I wanted, but I had no clue. Instead, what I did know was the ingredients. So the you know, the potential to really drive impact at scale, uh, to work with leaders that I admire in a company with a true purpose, etc. And then, you know, I applied for CEO roles of small organizations and strategy roles and chief of staff roles and sustainability roles, etc. And I ended up with Vodafone and it was a, it was an amazing choice. It's been an amazing past two years. And, and what is it about Vodafone that excites you? Um, once you start looking at what crucial societal infrastructure it is, it's exactly operating at those intersections and the nexus of private and public and, and can really have outsized um, impact on on on, the, on delivering the sustainable development goal. So so that's why um, why I'm here. We're all told, Doro, to follow our passion, but not everybody actually knows what their passion is. So when did the penny drop for you? When did you realize that sustainability is important to you, that you could actually work in this area? And how then did you make your passion central to your career path? Yes, it's a it's an interesting question because I didn't I didn't necessarily discover my passion for a while either. It was probably always there, but I think I really discovered it and I got a big boost uh, with a course on environmental policy at the College of Europe, which was taught by his phenomenal man Tony Long, who used to run the WWF office in Brussels. And that course really struck a chord with me. So and it, because it gave me, first of all, he's a very passionate person as well, but it gave me the language and the tools to start talking and thinking about this topic in a more structured way. So it was a really deeper intro in the triple bottom line and the Brundtland reports are a common future from, from 1987, which really developed the guiding principles for sustainable development as it's understood today. And stated already back then, you know, the critical global environmental problems are really primarily the result of huge poverty in the South and the non-sustainable patterns of consumptions in the North. And so, you know, being able to frame some of these topics was really interesting. But then I didn't go into sustainability immediately. Um, it was also back in that time, so, you know, a couple of years ago, it wasn't that obvious. There weren't those clear sustainability roles, especially not in Brussels. First, I went to learn a lot about politics, policy, communications, the EU, lobbying. And then I went to McKinsey to put it all to good use for sustainability mm -hmm. and also to learn to think in a much more structured way. And so once you join sustainability, there's no, there's no looking back, yeah. which is both a blessing and a curse sometimes to work on these topics because the challenges are so huge. It's really hard not to feel overwhelmed or, or frankly helpless. And it's also hard to set boundaries because when you work on something you really care about, you end up working way too many hours because you think, well, if I do this, we can kick off this project, which can maybe change that and like, yeah. you know, shift the conversation in that way, etc. So... Does it then impact on your life and your your mental well-being? You know, it, it does affect your life as well. I remember one one trip to the um, to the beach in Spain last year, and the only thing I could see 
was the tiny pieces of plastics on the shore. Mm. I, it, there was just no way of enjoying it. The only thing I could see was the plastic. So we got a bucket and started to clean up. And so this this clash of the of a passion with a sheer reality is something that I, I, I sometimes struggle with. And, and, and it also breaks my heart now to see so many young people struggle with that. So there's this whole concept of eco-anxiety and yeah. it's impacting people's mental health, just a feeling helpless and overwhelmed by these challenges. And you know, we, we, we kind of think of young people striking and taking agency and making their voice heard, but it's really very often motivated by having no choice and by mm. feeling that that's the only thing they can do and I think we really need to change that conversation and involve them a lot more so we can kind of shape it together in a different way. Right now let's focus on the positive impact. We touched earlier on what Vodafone is doing in the sustainability space. Can you go granular with some numbers and percentages that spell out how Vodafone is creating positive impact in sustainability and why you decided to join them? I think it comes down to Vodafone being a platform for change at scale and at speed. So just a few numbers, over 300 million mobile customers in more than 21 markets and 48 partner markets, mainly in Europe and Africa. Every year we spend more than 22 billion euro on suppliers, so supply chain spend. So last year when we changed the criteria for selection of vendors and 20% is now related to planet and to inclusion and diversity and safety, that really moves the needle. That makes a difference at those levels of spend. Um, We're the largest um, IoT connectivity provider, so uh, working with thousands of big companies, over 100 million IoT connections. And so the power of IoT is smart meters, smart connectivity, smart bins, smart agriculture to really drive the sustainability agenda is phenomenal. Yeah, but the scale is really impressive. And there's a special focus on developing economies. In Africa, we've got our M-Pesa platform, um, which is allowing over 14 million people to benefit from access to mobile payments and financial services. So because of all of this, you know, the types of products, the scale, the geographical coverage, the relationships with so many companies through supply chain, through Vodafone business, it's a huge platform for change and to help up the speed and scale of delivering the sustainable development goals. So that's why I joined. And it's also a really great organization for women and for, you know, generally around diversity and inclusion. It's it's a brilliant organization, both in terms of the policies, but the mindset and the and the spirit and the culture that it brings. Really great place to work. This is a marriage made in heaven, isn't it, Doro? Vodafone's amazing level of impact is a beautiful fit for you. And with your deep expertise in the area, they can only go from strength to strength. Let's talk about that golden experience of yours that you bring to a multinational like Vodafone. As you outlined earlier, your experience is quite diverse. Government, politics, policymaking, communications, lobbying, consulting, I could go on, etc. So where would you say that your previous experience is helping you today at Vodafone? And have you spotted any gaps in your experience that you wish you had filled or that you you might fill? You know, everyone's background helps them and brings them different things. And also for everything that I have, there is something that is missing. So I think what, what has helped me most, I think 
Firstly, it's the understanding of the different aspects of society. So um, the things that I've mentioned before and, and also doing so from an international perspective. But my perspective is very European. I haven't worked in Africa. I haven't worked in China. <laughs> Two signs of the coin every time. Um, I think secondly, having worked as a, as a consultant and lobbyist helps you kind of convince people, build an argument, see things from a different point of view, etc. Yeah. Networks and the power of networks. So, you know, one of my first jobs was an internship in the European Commission and I was at the spokesperson service and I got to know all the journalists, two commissioner cabinets, the whole spokesperson service. So it was this huge early boost of my network. And, and, and in the end, if you want things to happen at scale, etc., you need to know people, right? And you need to be able to connect with mm, people. Yeah, partnering. Uh, another thing that McKinsey brought me was really to think in a very structured way and a problem-solving mindset and work with hypotheses and some PowerPoint skills as well. Um, but uh, I won't mention those. And, and resilience. I think that the most crucial thing I've learned is to ask questions, preferably the right ones. And just the fact you can go to people and say, how can I help? What's your challenge? The the opportunities that you see, how can we make those bigger, etc. So, uh, you know, those are probably the things that I, I, I can bring. I'm not a technology expert. I haven't got a lot of commercial experience. Um, so there's lots of very kind of technical skill sets that I don't have that I would love to learn more about. But luckily, at least with asking the right people uh, the right questions, uh, you can kind of, you know, it's it's all about getting it done together and, and, and jointly. Yeah. So I have all these plans to do a lot of uh, massive open online courses on economics and on uh, behavior psychology and all of those things, uh, you know, probably for later. <laughs> You mentioned networks and the power of networks and partnerships. And I agree. Anyone who knows me will know that my mantra is that your network is your net worth. I say that all the time. And I don't know who, which smart person said it, but it's so true. Yes, a network helps to get business done better. And I found that the sustainability leadership community is quite tight-knit. Everybody seems to know everyone, and it's a very, very collaborative space to work in. So we can safely say that, yes, having a network is a no-brainer, but of course, it takes time. So would you expect a candidate to already have a network to demonstrate their passion and their potential to make an immediate impact, a bigger impact in a job? It's important, but you create it, right? So I guess my advice would be just get involved, whether it's citizen science activities, charities, debates, applying your specific skills, whether it's programming or graphic design or singing or whatever, to you know climate change competitions, etc. Uh, joining youth movements or joining specific groups, etc. So you're joining campaigns like Counters In, which wants to get to you know, one billion people taking steps to save the climate. So I think you can start building um, your network as such and now yeah. with social media and I'm really not an expert on social media but you know there there are ways to 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 get out there that are much more powerful than the ones that I used which were mainly kind of going to events and talking to people like physically so that was very much you know one at a time rather than whole groups of of followers etc so uh, I would say you know go out and 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 build it and 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 don't wait right the moment is now um you're absolutely right Dara there are tons of ways in today's digital world to show your passion, join networks, and even create new ones. 
let me shift your attention and talk about life when things are not going as we had planned. Let's talk about failure because a failure to embrace failure is failure. Again, not my wise words, but I love it and it's so true. Given that failure is inevitable and when it happens, we need to feel safe. We need to feel loved. But when there's no psychological safety around us, we're not going to show our vulnerable side. We're going to want to avoid failure at all costs because we fear being judged. And that's a real shame because we can't grow without it. So how are you as a leader harnessing psychological safety at Vodafone? How are you making it okay for your team not to have all the answers and to give them the time, the space, the opportunity to ponder, to to pilot and to pivot their ideas? Yes, that's a, that's an excellent question. And yes, as you say, failure is indeed very much a fact of life. And it's very human as well, right? And and, and uh, having to understand your weaknesses as well. Um, so psychological safety. Uh, for me, it's not only about feeling safe and comfortable to ask for help, but also the psychological safety to challenge the status quo and to propose new things and to drive innovation, which I think it's all about helping people adapt well to change and to new things, right? So yeah. I think firstly, I would say setting the tone yourself is the most important thing for me to, to create a positive um, team climate. So I, I bring my whole self to work and I also ask my team about their lives, but letting them set the boundaries, right? Not everyone wants to share as much as some other people. Mm, yeah. In that way, I've managed to at least build trust and I care about them as people. I also can have the separate conversation about you as a person versus a you in terms of how you are uh, delivering the work or what needs to be done differently, etc. So there's a kind of, you know, it's 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 both together, but they're also separate conversations. Um, yeah. Sometimes I share an article, you know, just something that strikes a chord with me. And, you know, there was there was one recently about like practicing gratitude and avoiding negative talk, which was which is really hard, right? During lockdown, yeah. everyone got in such a negative spiral and you know, seeking positive relationships and managing your energy. Um, there was the brilliant New York Times uh, Adam Grant article about languishing. You know, we're not all in, uh, you know, in burnout stage, but we do feel just basically <laughs> to sum it up so just sharing that and and having that conversation and actually met with the team uh probably a month or so ago and 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 two of the team members I had never even met in person and I, I wasn't particularly feeling on the top of my game so I just shared that with them this whole you know we talked about languishing and you know how we get energized together and how we pull ourselves out of a, a little bit of a kind of more mellow moment and just you know remind ourselves of why we're there what motivates us etc. Uh, that's that's one key element. I think another one is we spend a lot of time as a team and creating a team spirit. So there's a lot of trust amongst everyone. It's not only about me creating a, a safe space with everyone individually, but really functioning as a team and having each other's back. Maybe thirdly, there's a, there's a lot of support at Vodafone. So we have a whole uh, spirit program. That's our culture program. So there's a lot of guidance for discussions. There's lots of workshops. We get nudges in our inbox around, have you thought about sharing, you know, one one time that you failed something, et cetera, et cetera, just as a learning practice. We do a lot of uh, lessons learned sessions, but also even pre-mortem sessions. I can't remember what they're called, where you actually, you know, just before anything goes wrong, talk through what could go wrong and how to avoid all of those things, et cetera. So that's super because it's 
sounds like there's 360 degree support for people. They're getting TLC on a personal level, on a team level, organizational level, which will really enable more growth and innovation. Okay, let's zoom in a bit on growth at an individual level. Here's a question that I ask all my guests. You're a leader, you know what it takes to become one, you've got your finger on the pulse, you know how your industry will grow in the future. So you are perfectly positioned to tell us what traits will future leaders need to be successful. One for the sustainability part and one for the leadership part. On the sustainability part, be impatient optimists. So that's what Bill and Melinda Gates call themselves. And it's a concept that really resonates with me because if you work in this sector, you can get very (laughs) overwhelmed by the challenges. So you need to kind of make sure that you have your eye on the big prize that you kind of can make change happen. But it does need to happen now. So this impatience needs to to come in. Um, And and that's about also bringing bringing people along and challenging, but constructively and, and, you know, meeting people where they are, but moving and nudging them forward and upping the pace um on the kind of leadership side i would say enabling or consultative leadership so there's you know very much in the past it was always about these visionary authoritative motivating leaders i'm not saying that we don't need those but i think now as this challenge is becoming so much one of how do we get it done together the best way is really to kind of bring people along and for the sustainability leaders to be really spiders in the web and facilitators and gatherers to some extent to propel um, forward and, and give everyone their their sense of ownership and their drive to get things done. I, I hear you and I agree. A sense of urgency is paramount and consultative leadership. I love that too, getting it done together because the planet is everyone's customer. And again, I wish that they were my words, but actually they're not. I interviewed a leader, female leader at Swarovski and they are her words. Uh, Thank you to Rita Almeida. I love name dropping and I'm sure that Rita won't mind. Actually, remembering Rita has jogged my memory to ask you a question about motherhood because like you, she balances motherhood with a very high-profile senior leadership role. Now, you are mummy to Josephine, your young daughter. Dora, how are you managing to play a balancing act with two very important areas of your life? Yeah, first of all, you're assuming that I am. (laughs) Um, Not easy. It's very hard keeping the balance. Um, It does help to do what I do. And so from the beginning, I've involved her. I've explained things to her about, you know, why what I do matters. Um, She came along to one of my first business trips after Matt Leaf. And to some extent, I felt I I, I wasn't doing either very well. I wasn't being the best mother and I wasn't being the best possible person at the conference. But at least I had both, right? And so um, as a result, now when I ask her what she wants to do when she grows up, she says, Mama, I'm going to be a helper, helper of the planet, of people and of the animals. So, uh, you know, if I kind of think back at what I said when I was her age about what I wanted to be later. So, uh, yeah, so she's going to have three jobs and she's also going to give all my money to the poor people. Um, Such an eco leader in the making. It's brilliant. I just fear that she'll be hit by the eco anxiety that I spoke about. Right. Just kind of, you know, now she's still bold and thinks she can conquer the world. Um, but but, you know, I'll, I'll have to accompany her into the realities as well. 
But the other part, Sandy, that you're you're forgetting to mention in this whole equation is yes. where's the me in all this, right? I do my job. I try to be a good mother, but the not taking care of myself is the thing that I've kind of struggled with and not finding time for myself. Um, and, and, and how do you not lose yourself? And, and, and how do you also continue to start to accept yourself and the, you know, imperfect mother and professional that you are and how you're falling short and how do you put your own development still in, into that mix? So I think it's very challenging, but, um, you know, we're all in this together again so so I do have lots of conversations uh, with other people about how how to make things work and I have good friends who tell me in time when I uh when I uh, have forgotten to think about myself or my health um for too long um and who just uh, put me straight well I bet most working mums listening to this are nodding their heads and feel the same but then what would or could you do differently Oh, well, that's a good question. You know, if I knew, I would probably do it. Yeah. If, if I could, I'd have a, I'd have you know, 48 hours every day to, to make sure <laughs> that, uh, that there's time for everything. A psychologist who accompanied me for, for a while, she very much said, you can't be the perfect mother, but good enough is really great already. So just sometimes it's about lowering the standards just a little bit. Or setting boundaries at work. Um, it require giving yourself permission to be kinder to yourself. It's hard when you're having to be forced to set boundaries before you set them. So how do you integrate that and actually motivate yourself and find yourself enough of a motivation to set boundaries is the thing that I still need to figure out. Yeah. A female leader and a mother once said to me, women can have it all, Sandy, but just not at the same time. I don't know about that, but what I do know is that you, Doro, are a force for good for our planet and a super role model for your daughter, Josephine, and for all of us on so many levels. Thank you. Great to talk to you, as usual. Dorothy Dertha, Head of Sustainable Business at Vodafone. Thank you. This series of The Growing Podcast is sponsored by Accenture. Accenture is a global professional services company with leading capabilities in digital, cloud, and security. Combining unmatched experience and specialized skills across more than 40 industries, they offer strategy and consulting, interactive, technology, and operations services, all powered by the world's largest network of advanced technology and intelligent operations centers. Their 537,000 people deliver on the promise of technology and human ingenuity every day, serving clients in more than 120 countries. Accenture embraces the power of change to create value and shared success for their clients, people, shareholders, partners, and communities. In this series, we grow in innovation, so it made perfect sense for our co-host to be Accenture's EU Head of Innovation, the inspiring Lucy Cooper. 
Lucy Cooper leads innovation across Europe for Accenture. She believes that innovation comes from combining disruptive technologies with new business models and human ingenuity. And she's energized by working with Accenture's colleagues and clients to unlock 360-degree value so that they can win in markets and with stakeholders. Lucy focuses on challenges such as cultivating growth mindsets, scaling experimentation, and developing breakthrough digital products, services, and business models. She enjoys sharing her perspective as a member of the World Economic Forum's Young Global Leaders Class of 2021. You're going to find the short catch-up that I have with Lucy utterly enlightening, of course. It's packed with insights about innovation and sustainability on a personal, company, and industry level. Almost every sentence is a takeaway and a nugget of learning. So Lucy, we're going to hear your conversation with Dorothy next on why the sustainability agenda is so important to her and to Vodafone. But I wanted to kick off by letting the world know that you are passionate about the business of sustainability. So please tell us, why is it such a priority for you? Because I think at this point in the world, if you're not part of fixing the problem, you're part of the problem, right? So I think we've got to that really binary place where we've set out these UN SDGs, we're behind, that we're behind on the Paris Agreement. We've got a certain a really certain amount of time now to make a pretty massive difference. So it's like all hands on deck. And there was an amazing report published by the IEA and it talked about like what's needed to get to the the two degree, less than two degrees. And the answer is basically like everything. You've got to pull all of the levers. You've got to pull them all now. You've got to invest in the technologies that are emerging. You've got to invest in the technologies that don't exist. You've got to have a huge behavior change in how governments are working together. And you've got to have a huge behavior change in how people of the world interact with certain goods, services, products to get to that kind of sustainable living. And so I think, firstly, we want to be, I want to be part of the solution. And so... I have. I think you have to really ask yourself, what's your purpose and how are you going to do that? And really interesting, the people who are surrounding me or who I surround myself with, I'm very fortunate to surround myself with at Accenture, are lots of young thinkers actually in innovation. Okay, because you're so closely connected to them, Lucy, help us tap into the mindset of these young thinkers in innovation and how they're dealing with the sustainability agenda. I mean, is it even a separate agenda or ingrained in their everyday thinking and problem solving? It's like non-negotiable for them. They don't want to be somewhere. They don't want to be in a company. They don't want to be in a a work community or a peer community or a team with me as their leader where we're not really thinking every day about how do we bring this to the forefront and fight fight to deliver on these outcomes. And so I'm, I'm inspired by them every single day to kind of do better and be better. And we're coming up with some Super cool things, which I can't talk about right now at Accenture, which um, I, I, I'm really proud of and I hope are going to make a massive difference. But I I think a lot, probably, Sandy, I think every day about like, mm. if you're not the solution, you're the problem. And how do I make sure that we're on that right side for us and my team and but all of our clients that we interact with too. And sometimes all it takes is 
being in a position where you can go and have a conversation with a client saying, have you thought about any of this and what's your plan and how can innovation play a role? And you can open up a huge new avenue of opportunity. So yeah. And on a personal level, why does it matter? You know, I have two little nieces. Um, I want to leave the world for them in a way that like, they're not going to ask me when they're 25, when I'll be ancient, what did you do to help solve this problem? I want to have a good answer. Um, And so that's why I care. So if you're not part of the solution, then you're part of the problem. I like that little memorable takeaway. And we'll hear more in your conversation with Doro next about the importance of leadership to be a part of the solution in order to drive real change and to cultivate a culture of shared ownership and purpose. In a nutshell, leaders who do make sustainability their business, as you and your young colleagues are doing, can make business better. And by the way, Lucy, you did make me smile when you say I'm surrounded by young thinkers in innovation. I am looking at you and I'm thinking you look pretty darn young yourself (laughs) to the business of innovation. I'm itching to ask you the next question because I really want to know what you've learned so far by crowdsourcing the best answers on the definition of innovation. So what are the leaders and influencers that you've been talking to what are they saying and because it's a nice juicy question Lucy I've split it into two parts firstly what have you learned and secondly how would you define innovation Yes, yeah, so we on our podcasts that we're doing together, and when I have my podcasts and vlogs I ask everyone how do they define innovation um and it's actually really interesting. I think most of the answers, Sandy, have been broken into three parts. There's something about a th- the way you think that's got to be really, really important. There's got to be something about the way you do. So how are you executing what you're thinking about? And then the third part is, how are you measuring success? What does success mean to you, right? So actually, all of the answers that we've been given have been an articulation of unique, but not necessarily new to world because that's invention, unique thinking, different doing, and then an articulation of the value or the proof of the value that's being delivered that feels like it's unique. And so those are kind of, I guess, if we were to give a formula to how people could write their own definition of what innovation is. It's got to have a thinking part, it's got to have a doing part, and it's got to have like a value part. So that's what I've learned. Oh boy, formula for innovation, which we can't Google. (laughs) And in terms of my definition, I don't know if I've got a better one than any of the ones that we've had so far. So Accenture's definition is a new way of doing things that adds value. So I guess you've got the thinking, the doing, and the value. I guess the thing I would add if I was to redefine that. And I think from our conversations we've had with all of these amazing guests has really brought to the forefront for me is it's the people who do the innovation that really matter. You know, the people that we've had the fortune of speaking to you over the last couple of months, they are all so courageous and unique in their own way. And it's because of them that this innovation is being achieved because there is no innovation without a person behind it. So I would add, you know, a new way of doing things that adds value by extraordinarily 
courageous, psychologically safe, thoughtful, creative humans who have the courage and the power and the support to kind of go and make that change real in the world, because that's that's kind of what it's going to take. And, and that's what I would add. Unique thinking and different doing that brings extreme value. If only, Lucy, your super formula for innovation could be bottled up and sold <laughs> to help our planet. I can only dream of what that wonderful world would look like. You've also brilliantly described the profile of an innovator. So yes, our listeners will detect the core traits that you've identified in the growth stories of our awesome guest speakers. So we can all connect the dots and model ourselves and be inspired by leaders who are innovating. Lucy Cooper, Head of Innovation at Accenture. Thank you. And here's Lucy's conversation with Dorothy. Innovation means different things to different people and everybody's got a completely different definition of what innovation is to them. And we kind of think it's a little bit like digital. It's kind of one of these words that just evolves and matures over time. So tell us a little bit about what your definition of innovation is. Wonderful. Well, it's a very good question. And I'm sure indeed you've had very many and diverse answers. But for me, it's really simply about doing things in a different way, motivated by wanting to make change happen and to disrupt old ways. So whether that's a new product, a process, a way of measuring things, a way of communicating or a way of leading and leadership innovation, I think is a big topic to discuss, uh, you know, including talent and minorities and youth, etc. It's about that kind of constant curiosity and challenge and, and a search for opportunities to really kind of challenge your human spirit and the human ingenuity to do things better. So in that sense, sustainability for me is also innovations and the approaches to business models, the measurement, the partnering, all of those things that we need to do differently to make things happen. I mean, maybe just an anecdote. A few years ago, I was a, a guest speaker at an executive MBA program about sustainability. So, you know, there's a group of really hard-nosed finance and marketing and ops people sitting there who've had 10, 15 years of experience in big companies and their eyes kind of glaze over at the thought of, you know, probably a tree hugger coming to talk to them. So I told them, just forget about sustainability. This session is not about sustainability. It's about innovation. It's about business model disruption. It's about doing things different in supply chain. It's about setting strategy differently, et cetera, et cetera. And just by having a different entry point, it was a completely different conversation. So for me, that's the kind of what I try to bring to innovation and to sustainability and kind of marry these two concepts as well. I absolutely love that because it's my big personal belief at the moment that innovation and sustainability are mutually exclusive. I think um, you can't have one without the other at the moment. All innovation that we're putting out into the world and the world we live in and the challenges in front of us needs to be innovative and all innovation should be sustainable. It should be, um, you know, leaving the world in a better place than it was found and long lasting and regenerative. And so I totally agree with you. So I absolutely love that definition. And Vodafone has had for a really long time a very strong purpose and kind of is one of the leading brands within the UK. Obviously, as head of sustainable business, we'll get on a little bit to what that means shortly. But I just want to ask you kind of what does purpose mean to Vodafone, to you? And, and kind of why do you think it matters so much right now? 
Nick Reed, our group CEO at Vodafone, he often describes our purpose as a North Star. So it's the why we exist. It's the how we live our role in society as a business. And it informs our strategy. It's cultivated throughout the business. And it really brings everyone together around this aim to build an inclusive and sustainable digital society. It's a mindset and a motivation that really kind of permeates everything. We've also translated it into a few very specific pillars to really guide the more concrete work. And so those are around digital society, inclusion and planet. And for me, it matters because it's really the only way to build a, a sustainable and resilient and profitable business for the future, right? So it's about meeting the needs of society in a way that you can also make a profit, clearly, because this is not a non-profit company. And if you don't do that as a business, there's no long-term resilient business in the end. So uh, what has really struck me at Vodafone, and I, you know, I joined with a healthy dose of skepticism because everyone has declared their purpose and is talking about it, etc. So it was like, let's go see what it's uh, what it's like from the inside. And what has struck me is really the authenticity. And everyone in Vodafone really embraces purpose. And it really comes from the heart, but also gets cultivated in the business decisions and filters through into the long-term incentives for the executive team, into the exco goals or internal comms. So everywhere there's this kind of purpose culture and purpose-led Vodafone. You know, I kind of use the word cultivating deliberately. I had an interesting conversation. It was already a year ago, I think, with Dee Corrigan at Blueprint for a Better Business. And we were discussing the word like embedding, you know, sustainability, embedding purpose into your company. And, you know, she said, well, embedding still means like taking something external or alien or new and trying to insert it into something that already exists. So we swapped there. You know, she uses the word cultivating, which I think is a much better word, which kind of really starts from what is everyone's purpose as a person, as a citizen, as a worker, as a, a consumer, etc.? How do you bring that to the business? And how then from there do you cultivate also the company purpose? And I think that's what makes it a really, uh, you know, a powerful North Star as such to, to come back to Nick's words. Amazing. I love that cultivating authenticity, kind of two big takeaways from that. And I mean, I don't need to tell you this, but sustainable businesses, it's not really a, a nice to have anymore. I think we've been going through a little bit of a period of 15 years where there have been some people who have really embraced it, lots of big companies in particular who haven't. But it's it's really complex. We've got to make our commitments, especially in the next 10 years, things like the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, we're behind. Uh, we're going to need to redesign all kind of parts of business in particular who account for huge parts of the emissions between us and things like that. And we're going to have to act at, at a pace with speed that is going to be very, very uncomfortable. There's also a huge amount of opportunity, though, to be better citizens of the world, to deliver on that promise of regenerating our planet and to create fundamentally new value propositions between governments and citizens and corporates and, you know, other ecosystem partners and players. Tell us a little bit about what sustainable business means to you at Vodafone and how you define it and what some of your priorities are. 
Yes, well, first of all, it's definitely not a nice to have. And frankly, it hasn't been for a long time, right? But as you rightly point out, it's very much an emerging field. Um, and at Vodafone, we describe sustainable business very much as, first of all, having our house in order, right? So this license to operate, the license to work, the license to lead in society. So making sure that we do you know, have responsible business practices that are sound, that are solid, that we report on, that we're transparent around. And then on top of that, there is a huge opportunity to make a positive contribution to society, which I think for our sector and specifically in the past year has been a phenomenal Having the power and the potential and the opportunity to keep people connected and to make sure that people can seize the opportunities of, of a digital society um, has been phenomenal. So, you know, and the agenda is constantly evolving as more of this emerging field is starting to mature, right? So one of the big changes I think we've seen recently is the interest of investors in ESG if you read the letters of Larry Fink, his annual letter to CEOs, over the past five years, you've seen this emergence of, you know, the role of business in society, the environmental things and putting more criteria, asking for SASB, asking for TCFD, also the social elements and the fact that the E has not slipped away in the, during the crisis, but has just dragged the S also up on the agenda. So I think that agenda has given uh, us a powerful boost and has given us still an, another lens on the sustainable business, which was very much already a topic that we drove from a from a talent point of view, from a right thing to do point of view, from a policymaker point of view, but now also investors, corporate consumers ask for a lot as well. And so I think there's kind of a, a, a perfect all things coming together, creating an environment where there's a, a whirlwind of action and all the stakeholders are really paying attention for this, which has really put the agenda much higher up um, on, on everyone's priority. What are some of the non-negotiables of responsible business practice in, in your mind? Um you know, probably exactly what it says in the word, right? So responsible, <laughs> first of all, is a non-negotiable. So that means driven by by a moral compass, by a commitment to do what's right by society. And I think it, this responsible is probably underpinned by authenticity, by transparency, by consistency. You can't be responsible in some practices and then, you know, cut corners in others. So this kind of consistent approach. That's a kind of, to some extent, the the what you need to do and the the risk side of things, if you want. But for me, the more the more important and powerful and really the big prize is the opportunity side of responsible business and how you go after maximum societal impact. How you really take your role in society to heart in a big way, and not only as one company, but also start leading and driving the sector and across sectors. Because in the end, we need the the system level change to happen if we want to deliver the SDGs. Um, as you mentioned before as well. And I'm going to talk a little bit about shared success because Vodafone has kind of a culture of shared ownership and shared success. But first, like, you've been at the forefront of this for a really long time. I'm going to ask you a question, like, what are you most proud of as you look back over the last few years of all the change that you've sort of seen happening? What makes you kind of happy and, and proud to kind of still be getting up every day and doing this job? Specifically at Vodafone, I think I'm 
I could give like a million examples of very specific things, but I think, you know, at a meta level, um, it's really to see how Vodafone cultivates our purpose, how everyone is embracing it and driving it. Um, and so I think that's really powerful to see how we want to be an engine to drive a, an inclusive and sustainable digital society. I think over the past year, I felt a huge sense of fulfillment working at Vodafone and to see our response to the COVID crisis. So very early on, we put a five-point plan in place to respond to the health crisis specifically, and then a second one later on to help also to build back better. Um, and that was very much anchored in our purpose. And we actually also took a step back and looked at the different purpose programs in those pillars and how how could we apply them more starting from what society needs. And so it became much more an outside-in approach rather than looking at what you have and how that adds up to a purpose. We did some, uh, you know, some some phenomenal things. I mean, all with with a very healthy dose of humility, right? I mean, so much needs to happen. Nothing is fast enough and is big enough as such against the challenges. Um, already before the pandemic, there were uh, over 250 million of children who are not in school in the world, and so clearly with the crisis, you know, nearly 1.6 billion learners were affected by the crisis in terms of missing out on school. Uh, school disclosure is affecting like nearly 95% of children. So one of the programs that we launched in Vodafone UK, um, the, the Schools Connected uh, program, giving free connectivity to 350,000 school children to access school from home and continue their education. So it's things like that that just give you this kind of warm, fuzzy feeling in a you know, in, in South Africa, the Vodacom um, e-school solution was offering content uh, data chargers for uh, teachers and students as well. So, you know, that education piece for me is crucial, but then it's also around healthcare, around so many other things. To mention one other um, is, I'm also very proud of what we've achieved over the past uh, few years in terms of an acceleration of our planet agenda. And that's thanks to amazing leaders like Joachim Reiter and our CEO, who I mentioned. But we've really put everything in place so we can address our own footprint and become fully part of the solution and really help to drive this twin green and digital transition. So I think that's that's a very powerful thing for me. So there's, there's much more. We've done a lot around a lot around human rights, around rethinking our SDG agenda, etc. But I think seeing that buzz and also the working together between companies to actually get things done gives gives me hope. Oh, it's so amazing to hear those stories. And I think that I remember saying, you know, a year ago now or a year and a half ago that comms and telco companies are going to be a public service. People need connectivity when they when we were all locked down at home to work, educate ourselves and our children and, and stay in touch and connected with our loved ones. And you've just put some amazing examples out there of of what that kind of connectivity has meant to everybody. You know, I find with innovation, one of the things is you have to have really clear accountability of who's leading what, but also especially at leadership levels, this shared sense of ownership. And I think the same is probably true in what you're, you know, what you're driving the agenda you drive at Vodafone. So talk to me a little bit about how how do you cultivate, to use your word, that sort of shared sense of ownership to make all leaders responsible? I mean, you talked about the purpose, people living the purpose every day. So let's maybe talk a little bit more about what the leadership do and what they sign up to to kind of create that shared ownership. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question. And I think one that sustainability leaders will be discussing very much in the coming years, right? As this is truly becoming everyone's agenda. And, and as you mentioned, for us, it's really a, a CEO and exco agenda. So it filters down from the top. So there's really this true shared ownership. Um, the other good news is everyone cares whether it's because of their children or talent retention or their own moral compass or to drive profits or whatever it is they care. And then the good but messy news is everyone cares so much um, that they want to have a view and want to implement their own ideas. And that can clearly lead to um, fragmentation and duplication and uh, you know, not only inside companies, but also in sectors and across sectors, etc. If we want to get to the solutions and to a better place at pace and at scale, that there really needs to be this focus on prioritization. Um, I think there's probably kind of four ingredients in terms of driving this. So first of all, having a very simple, clear narrative and approach that everyone knows about and that clarity of message, clarity of ambition, clarity of targets, et cetera, that everyone can rally around. Um, I think, secondly, the role of, of the leaders, as you mentioned, so you know, role modeling by leaders across the business. So we often see when um, when any of the members from our executive committee do sessions online uh, with the whole team, it, purpose is the first word they mention. It filters through everything they say. They really embrace and role model the change. They refer to the targets, etc. Um, I think the third one is, is having the right tools and the guidance for everyone to be able to deliver on those targets, etc. Um, and then the last one is, is also making sure that the incentives are right. Um, and so once all of those things are in place, I think then you can kind of unleash the the creativity and the innovation and really you know try to also channel that in innovation right so we have lots of you know, competitions and and ways of getting ideas from across the company together so that's a really nice way to also harness that creativity but i think that leadership from the top and the role modeling from the top is really crucial yeah amazing and it sounds well it sounds and i know a little bit from the work we do together you have that kind of incredibly brave and courageous and vulnerable leadership. And I think it makes a really big difference and will continue to make a really big difference. It's something we think about a lot between wanting the people to come and work for us who really want to step forward and make those changes at all levels through the organization. Starts with them, you know, I guess, looking at the leadership and saying, can I see myself in these people? And are they, you know, are they characteristics I want to stand behind? And so I think it's becoming more and more important as we're all trying to attract and 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 retain the talent that's going to help us pivot and redesign and reimagine as businesses as we need to do and that responsibility we have as some of the biggest businesses in the world. I mean we talked about 2020 just briefly and I think for telcos it's been an incredible journey. It was a massive catalyst for change and it it's been a really you know, horrendous year. And I think we should we, we should recognize and sort of say that it's been incredibly traumatic. We've lost so many lives and people have been separated from people they love for a really long time. And it it's kind of brought to the forefront this idea of the unsustainable sort of world. But for you, 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 your company and other companies in the communication space were kind of thrust to the front very quickly, as we've talked about, which is playing at a kind of you know, that I call it the public service, but as an important role as the sort of other providers of public good and public service in, in helping keeping the world running. What were some of the takeaways for you personally as you 
look back on the last 15 months and think about how 2020 has changed the culture of Vodafone? Has it changed any of its purpose? And, and what what is it kind of brought home for you personally? Yes, um, the year was a was an accelerator, but also a disruptor. Um, and to some extent, it was accelerating things that had already started to emerge, right? I mean, let's not forget that 2019 was the year of all the climate strikes and the climate action and all of those things. So, so this has been a long time in the making as such. But I think there was, apart from accelerating things, there was also disrupting the ways of doing things. And I, one of the, the concepts that comes to mind is kind of a, a new social contract and this new role of business in society and a different balance and ways of working together and respective responsibilities. And um, you saw the the Edelman barometer um, earlier this year, at the beginning of the year, kind of putting a really big responsibility with business, right, as one of the trusted institutions, but also one of the institutions that people really want to drive to change. So I think we really embraced that. um, And that was amazing to see. And we saw a number of accelerations. So first of all, that kind of change in perspective around purpose from the outside in starting to you know starting with the socioeconomic challenges that were being exacerbated by the crisis and what we could do about them but then also a, a mindset around um you know accelerating the the programs etc really kind of taking part in that building back better and and making sure that everything we do really responds to those things so i mentioned the the five point plan was all about you know making sure we had uh, good connectivity, providing services for critical government departments, uh, providing information for free to people, etc. And that then morphed into trying to address the digital divide because uh, you know, there's lots of children whose parents can't afford the laptops or tablets. There's elderly people who lack digital skills. There's so many people in Africa who don't even have connectivity or can't afford the devices to get online or don't have the digital skills to do so or, or, or can't find the relevant services that kind of have a, have a meaning for their life. So, so that digital divide with all the good things that came from the connectivity kind of keeping the world a little bit on its feet, there is also a huge digital divide still. So trying to address that was absolutely crucial for us. Um, And looking at also the sectors of society that were being affected uh, most. So SMEs, for example, suffered disproportionately. So we now have a whole program around how can we support SMEs specifically and kind of do that leapfrog around digitalization and bring also sustainability in there. That's been absolutely um, phenomenal to see and and, and really fills me with a with great joy for for being there, and as you mentioned, it's a it's a critical societal service, right? And it's that's partly also why I joined Vodafone. It was you know, before joining Vodafone, I didn't know much about the sector, and it's so, you know it's not the sexiest sector, let's say it. Um, but once you start actually looking at okay, what is this? It's really at the kind of intersection of government and private sector. There is. You know, it's it's such a crucial service that is often kind of underrated and just taken for granted. Um, but it's uh, yeah, absolutely crucial, and that has come very much to the fore in the um, in the past year. You're such an optimistic voice, and it's wonderful to kind of hear <laughs> your ambitions and plans. You bring this kind of calmness and this articulation to what needs to be done that makes it very easy to get behind you. So, thank you so much. This is the Grow In Podcast, and you've been listening to episode one in the first series, Grow In Innovation, 
With me, Sandy Khan, and co-host Accenture's Head of Innovation, the awesome Lucy Cooper. With our storytelling leader, Vodafone's Head of Sustainable Business, the inspiring Dorote Dutta. And in the next growth story, Lucy and I find out what it takes to become a C-level board member for the world's largest global fashion search platform and what it means to take it to the next level. This is the future of how everybody's going to shop because we are really kind of creating something that's never been done before, which is like searching, browsing, discovery for fashion, connecting millions of customers with millions of products. That is the chief partnerships officer at List, where their biggest competitor is Google itself. Subscribe now so you're one of the first to be in company with us when the next growth story goes live. Curated with love for you.